Good morning. All right, so one time I was reading in uh, Reader's Digest, and they have um, a thing where people write it. There's a couple sections where people write in stories. There's one about like, uh, um, like military stories, and then there's one that's, I think it's something like humor in the workplace, like funny things that happen to people while they're working. You know what I'm, you know what I'm talking about? And so one of them I read one time was this story. It was from the perspective of a jeweler, okay? This person works at this jewelry store, and they told the story of a customer that came in, and the customer that walked in um, wanted a, a cross necklace. That's what they said. Like, I came here to buy a cross necklace. And so um, the jewelry store worker was behind the counter and the looking for the cross necklace girl was on the other side of the counter and she's looking at um, the stuff. And the person who worked for the jewelry store said, um, if you'd like to try them on or like to see what they look like up close, just point to the ones you want and I'll take them out of the case and bring them out for you. And she said that the, the customer said, oh, okay, I'd like to try that one, that one, and that one over there, the one with the little man on it. And the jewelry store the worker said, you mean Jesus? And so that was, that was it. That's the story. And the author of that story wrote in because they thought that that was you know, a funny thing that happened in the workplace. And I guess Reader's Digest agreed. And so they um, published it. But what I think is interesting is that person in that story wanted to wear a cross and did not understand the significance of it at all. And that's not just all, you might say, well, yeah, well, you know, some people are dumb, you know, I don't, but I don't think she's the only one. I think that there are people in this country who, if you would ask them, like, hey, do you know who Jesus is? I think that they would go, yeah, 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 I know who Jesus is. And they don't really understand the significance of the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. So I'll tell you a story that's from my own life. One time when I was around 30 years old, may, I might have been 29, right around 29 or 30, um, I did a wedding. I was a pastor at the time, and I was officiating a wedding. And this, I think, was the day before the wedding. So bef- the day before the wedding, you have the rehearsal, and then after the rehearsal, the rehearsal dinner, and then the wedding's the next day. And so at this point, I, I think this story takes place at the rehearsal dinner. So if you don't know how the rehearsal dinners work, this is how they work. The people who are invited to a rehearsal dinner um, typically are the people who are in the wedding, plus any sort of out-of-town relatives that you know came in from... Seattle and they're in town, they get invited to the rehearsal dinner even if they're not in the wedding. So, um, and sometimes the out-of-town guests, they don't even go to the rehearsal. They just come straight to the rehearsal dinner. And I think that's what happened with this lady because I'm there at the rehearsal dinner and across the table from me is this woman who, I think she was the aunt of the groom. She did not have, she had not gone to the rehearsal that had just happened the hour prior. Um, and so she didn't know who I was. So we're just sitting at a table together at this rehearsal dinner and she's like, hey, you know, who are you? How do you know the groom? And I said, oh, I'm the pastor that's officiating the, the, the wedding tomorrow. And she said something to me that back then I used to hear all the time, okay? People used to always say this right when I was this day, when I was around 20 or 30 and I'd say, hey, I'm the pastor. <clears throat> so she said what everybody used to say back then. She went, oh, you're too young to be a pastor. <clears throat> so I guess I looked particularly young when I was 29 and 30. And so that's what everybody said. Whenever I said I was a pastor, they go, oh, you're too young. You seem too young to be a pastor. And it's funny because at the time that annoyed me that people said that. I would kill for it now. <laughs> I mean, I, so I still do. I still go around and say, hey, I'm a pastor. And I mean, nobody says, you look too young to be a pastor. It's been years since I've heard that. And I am bitter about it. And I, then I figured you should know. Anyway, back to the story. <laughs> so she said, you, chill, you look too young to be a pastor. And so I said my standard answer, because it happened so much back then, I just had this same response that I used every time that I haven't had to use in a while. But I would say every single time, I would say, well, you know, Jesus was 30 when he began his ministry. 
And most of the time, when you say, if you're 29 or 30, and someone says you can't be a pastor at that age, and you say Jesus was 30 when he began his ministry, especially Christians will be like, oh, <laughs> good point, right? Like, we worship a 30-year-old. Okay, I get that. Um, and so this lady did not answer that way. She did not respond the normal way that I was used to whenever I said that. I said, you know, Jesus uh, began his ministry when he was 30. And she said, oh, really? And I said, well, yeah, he started around 30. And, you know, around 33 is when they, they killed him, right? He died. And she said, oh, he died so young. What a shame. And I was like so shocked when she said this. Because first of all, I was thinking, how is it not obvious that he died young. Like, you don't, I don't feel like you have to be a Christian to know that. There are a million paintings of Jesus. There are a million sculptures of Jesus and stained glass things of Jesus and children's coloring pages of Jesus and jewelry of Jesus. And many of those depictions show him at the point of his death. And it's really obvious he's never depicted as elderly at the point of his death. He's all, it's always a young man on a cross dying. It seemed to me, I was like, wow, it seems to me that it is widely known that Jesus died young. So it was very surprising to me that she was finding that out right then. And then when she said after that, what a shame, I realized like, oh, okay, she's not a Christian. She's not a Christian because that's not what Christians say in response to Jesus's death. We don't say, oh, what a shame that he died. We say, what a gift. We say, what a victory. You know, what a blessing. We have a holiday that we celebrate Jesus' death, right? Every single year, there's a holiday that, that is specifically for celebrating the death of Jesus. What is it called? Okay. Yeah, Good Friday. Notice the first word out of the two words. Good Friday. That's what we call the day that we think about the death of Jesus. We don't call it Bad Friday. We don't call it What a Shame Friday. We don't call it He Died So Young Friday. Good Friday, because He died on the cross for our sins. And so um, I realized in that moment, I guess, or at least looking back on it now, like that woman was missing out on the most important thing that can be known. And so I start with those stories to make this point. Um, there are plenty of people who have heard of Jesus, but they do not understand the significance of his life and his death and his resurrection. And so in this series, we are going to focus on the titles of Jesus Christ. We are going to cover seven of them. There are actually more than seven of them. I think there might be more than seven of them just on the background here. Okay, there are more than seven of them, but we're going to cover seven of the titles of Jesus Christ, seven facets of Jesus's life, seven roles that he had, seven functions that he fulfilled, okay? And each one is going to reveal a different aspect about Jesus. And I believe that once we complete the seven of them, we will have a really good picture as to who Jesus is and why he's so important. Uh, this series is designed to prepare us for Christmas. And so we're going to be talking about Jesus and different aspects of him as we prepare for Christmas. And so in that sense, it's sort of a double-length Advent series, if you want to think of it that way. Um, for those of you who don't know what Advent is, on the Christian calendar, for a lot of churches, they celebrate Advent. And I think typically it's um, the time period between Thanksgiving and Christmas. And from what I can tell, it looks like um, it's based on how, how the Sundays fall between Thanksgiving and Christmas as to like how many sermons fall during the Advent season. And it seems to me it's usually three or four. So most, a lot of pastors out there, they do three or four sermons before Christmas prepping for the celebration of Christmas, okay? And so we're doing seven, so we're overachievers this year, all right? We didn't do Advent for a bunch of years, so now we're catching up, okay? Double Advent this year. Um, and so we're going to do seven sermons about Jesus as we prepare for Christmas. And so the first three titles that we're going to cover are prophet, priest, and king, 
Okay, prophet, priest, and king. And uh, Jesus is our prophet. Jesus is our priest. Jesus is our king. Today, it's going to be prophet. Okay, we're gonna start with prophet. By the end of this series, I hope that you will be able to better see how incredible Jesus is. I hope you will be able to see that he is not just one thing, but that he is amazing. So today we start with prophet. Jesus is our prophet. Um, I guess we'll start with defining the word. When we, if we're gonna say Jesus is a prophet, what do we mean by that? And so... What's a prophet? Um, this is actually something I don't need to spend a lot of time on because we just did a series not that long ago where we defined the word prophet, okay? You guys remember what series it was? I mean, spiritual gifts. Someone that was not sure, but they, oh, spiritual gifts. Yes, you were correct, whoever said that. Um, we just did a series on spiritual gifts and we talked about prophecy and prophet and what those words mean. Um, I think we may have said it something like this, that the word prophet, if you're taking it literally, going back to the etymology, it means one who speaks before. But in the Bible, um, <clears throat> It is uh, typically just one who speaks on behalf of God. That's what a prophet is, someone who speaks on behalf of God. Sometimes the prophet speaks about the future, and in fact, that's one of the main ways we think of the word prophecy. When we hear like, so-and-so made a prophecy, we think that meant they said something about the future. Um, and that is, that is a type of prophecy. Jeremiah in the Old Testament was a prophet like that. Jeremiah talked about the future before it happened. Isaiah talked about the future before it happened. Jesus talked about the future before it happened. But sometimes prophets talk about the present. Sometimes it's not something in the future. It's just instructions for now. It's warning people about something now. It's you know, saying, do this or don't do this. So the first question is, was Jesus a prophet? And the answer to that is, well, yes, by that definition, of course, he spoke God's words. So I guess I'll ask the question another way. Was Jesus considered a prophet during his lifetime? Because it's kind of easy to 2,000 years later look back, especially what has come from the life of Jesus over the past 2,000 years, for us to look back and go, well, of course Jesus is a prophet. Of course he was speaking on behalf of God. That's so obvious now. Was Jesus considered a prophet during his own lifetime? And the answer is yes. I'm going to read to you from Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24, verse 19. I'm actually going to jump right into um, the middle of the verse. So, or well, just, I don't know, a few words into the verse where the, the characters start talking. So we got these two people. These are followers of Jesus. And this is right after Jesus rose again. And they're explaining their understanding of Jesus. And this is what they said. They said, so they said to him, the things concerning Jesus, the Nazarene. Now look how they describe Jesus, the Nazarene, who was a prophet, powerful in action and speech before God and all the people. This is during, this is, I mean, like right when Jesus rises again and someone asks, hey, you know, what, what's this all about? They said, oh, it's about Jesus the Nazarene who was a prophet. Several of Jesus' earliest followers referred to him as a prophet. Why? Because he spoke on behalf of God with authority. Okay, so not only was Jesus a prophet, Jesus was also the prophet. Okay, Jesus was not just a prophet, he was the prophet, in which you might go, oh, what is that? What is the prophet? And so for that, we need to go back to the Old Testament. There are times in the New Testament where there's this, this reference to the prophet, and it seems to me it all goes back to a passage in Deuteronomy. And so that's where we're gonna go. Deuteronomy chapter 18, and I'm gonna read to you what I think is the beginning of this idea of Jesus as the prophet. So Deuteronomy 18, starting in verse 15, I'm just gonna read it to you. The person speaking in this text is Moses, okay? Moses is talking to the people of Israel, and he says this. He says, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me, the me is Moses, from among your own brothers, you must listen to him. This is what you requested 
from the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly when you said, let us not continue to hear the voice of the Lord our God or see this great fire any longer so that we will not die. Let me pause and just tell you that story real quick. So my understanding here is Horeb, I think is a reference to Sinai. This is the story of in Mount Sinai. There's, there's fire and smoke on top of the mountain and the 10 commandments and all that. And the people of Israel at one point, and you can go back and read this. I'm not gonna read it. But if you, if I remember when we talked through Exodus, we talked about this. Okay, there's a point in the book of Exodus where the people of Israel are at the bottom of a mountain all assembled together. And God from the top of the mountain speaks to his people. He speaks to the nation Israel directly, Okay. And it's interesting what their reaction is because there are a lot of people, maybe some in this room, there are a lot of modern day people who say things like, well, I just wish God would talk directly to me. You know, it's just like, yeah, he gave us the Bible and yeah, he gives us churches and blah, blah, blah. But just sometimes I don't know what to do. And sometimes I don't understand things. And I just wish God would talk directly to me. And I just wanted to let you know that there are times where that has happened and the people didn't like it. All right. In this situation, they were there. God spoke to them. And when he was done, they were like, is there a way we can make sure that never happens again? And so that's this story. Okay. So he spoke to them and they said, please, there's there's got to be another way. So here's what happens next. Verse 17. Then the Lord said to me, Moses, they have spoken well. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers. I will put my words in his mouth and he will tell them everything I command him. I will hold accountable whoever does not listen to my words that he speaks in my name. Now, it seems to me that this could apply to all prophets, that this is, um, this is God instituting the office of prophet. Instead of me speaking to you directly, there will be prophets who will speak. And I think maybe this does apply to the office of prophet. However, the first century Jews Upon reading this passage, they were expecting a particular one. Yes, they believed that there was an office of prophet, and yes, they believed they were supposed to listen to the prophets, but they believed there was a particular prophet that was going to come from among their brothers that they must listen to, the prophet. That's what they were expecting. Now, you might go, how do you know what they were expecting in the first century? Because we have documents from the first century, and we can read what they said. And so I'm going to read you one of them right now. This is from John chapter 1. In John chapter 1... This is a section of John that's about John the Baptist. So John chapter one, starting in verse 19. It says, this is John's testimony. This, the John here is John the Baptist. This is John's testimony. When the Jews from Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him, who are you? He did not refuse to answer, but he declared, I am not the Messiah. John the Baptist said, I'm not the Messiah. What then, they asked him, are you Elijah? I am not, he said. Are you the prophet? No, he answered. Now, that's interesting because as as best as I can tell, John the Baptist was a prophet. John the Baptist was a prophet, but he claimed that he was not the prophet. Now, why did they ask him if he was the prophet? Because they were expecting someone to come who was the prophet. In fact, that comes up again later on in uh, like five pages later, five chapters later in John. John chapter six, verse 14. I'm gonna, the verse is gonna come up on the screen. And for the context here, I just want you to know, this was uh, right after the feeding of the 5,000. Okay, so Jesus feeds 5,000 with five loaves and two fish. And then this is what happens next. When the people saw the sign he had done, the sign being the multiplication of the food, they said, this really is the prophet who was to come into the world. Why did they say that? Because they were thinking one day it's going to be so obvious there's going to be the prophet. And so they said Jesus must be the prophet who was to come into the world. After Jesus died, after he rose again, after he ascended to heaven, 
Peter refers to Jesus in this way as the prophet. I want to show that to you in Acts chapter 3. In Acts chapter 3, verse 19, Peter is uh, I get preaching to a crowd of people, and this is what he says. <clears throat> um, he says, Therefore, repent and turn back so that your sins may be wiped out, that seasons of, seasons of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, that he may send Jesus, who has been appointed for you as the Messiah. Heaven must welcome him until the times of the restoration of all things. He's saying Jesus is in heaven now, but he's going to come back at the time of the restoration of all things, which God spoke about by the mouth of his holy prophets from the beginning. Moses said, now this is interesting, he quotes Moses. What part of the writings of Moses does he quote? Deuteronomy 18, the verses I just read to you about the prophet. Moses said, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your brothers. You must listen to him in everything he will say to you, and everyone who will not listen to that prophet will be completely cut off from the people. In addition, all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those after him have also announced these days. So he's saying these days are a fulfillment of things that have been talked about in the past. Essentially, Peter is saying Jesus is the fulfillment of Deuteronomy 18, right? Jesus was not just a prophet. He was the prophet. He was the greatest prophet there ever was. Now, all of this fits with stuff that comes up later in the Bible, particularly the book of Hebrews. So later on, the book of Hebrews is um, written, as best as I can tell. Anyway, this, it's later on in the, in the New Testament. You flip over a few pages and you got Hebrews there. Hebrews chapter one. I'm gonna read you the first two verses. I want you to see how the beginning of Hebrews is written and how they speak about Jesus. Hebrews 1.1 says, long ago... So this is how Hebrews begins. Long ago, God spoke, okay? Long ago, God spoke to the fathers, right? This would be talking about their, the, the Hebrews, their ancestors, okay? Long ago, God spoke to the fathers by the prophets, okay? Prophets, plural, okay? Long ago, God spoke to the fathers by the prophets at different times and in different ways. Yes, we know this. Sometimes he spoke through Moses and sometimes through Isaiah and sometimes through Jeremiah, right? Different ways, different prophets. But then look in verse two. In these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. God has appointed him heir of all things and made the universe through him. So there have been times where God communicated to us in different ways, in different times with different prophets. But then there was a day when he came, like when the big one came, right? He has now spoken to us by his son, the one who is heir of all things. So Hebrews starts off with saying, Jesus is the ultimate revealer of God. And so that is our big theological point this morning, okay? Jesus is the prophet, the ultimate revealer of God. Okay, so if that's true, what do we do? If it's true that Jesus is the prophet, the ultimate revealer of God, what do we do with that? Like we could say, okay, that's the truth. What is our reaction to that supposed to be? And so I'm gonna give you the application this morning in three words. You ready? Listen to him. That's the reaction to Jesus is the prophet, the ultimate revealer of God. Listen to him. I want to show you where God says this in the Bible. So we'll go with Mark chapter 9. This is a great story. In Mark chapter 9, you have a story that's called the transfiguration. I preached on this when we preached through the book of Mark. I'm not going to explain everything about the transfiguration, but I am going to read the story. But I'm just going to focus on what happens at the end of this thing that I'm going to read to you. But I'll read the whole thing. 
So this is when Jesus is walking around on this earth. So Mark chapter nine, starting in verse two, it says, after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John and led them up on a high mountain by themselves to be alone. So you can picture Jesus with his disciples. And then at some point he says, okay, Peter, James, and John, I want you guys to come with me on a trip. We're going to hike up that mountain. And they go, okay. And so they hike up to the top of the mountain. And when they get up there, up to the top of the mountain, what happens? He was transformed in front of them and his clothes became dazzling, extremely white as no launderer on earth could whiten them. Some guy, it doesn't even say really what happened to him. It talks about what happened to his clothes and obviously something also happened to him, although it's not described, but some sort of glorious glow in the dark thing happened to him where he was transformed or transfigured. Next verse, Elijah appeared to them with Moses and they were talking to Jesus. Then Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it's good for us to be here. Let us make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah, because he did not know what he should say, since they were terrified. So Peter was a nervous talker, okay? You know those people? Some of you are those people, right? I I don't know what to do, so I'll just start saying whatever comes to mind, and so I think that's what he did. It was probably a bad thing to say, but he, um, you know, I don't think he understood probably the significance of the situation. Now look at the next verse, though. This is what I want you to notice. A cloud appeared, overshadowing them, and a voice came from the cloud. This is my beloved son. What's the next three words? Listen to him. That's what God, the Father, said to do with Jesus. Listen to him. At this point, I think we need to define what listen means, okay? (laughs) Because sometimes we use the word listen as a synonym for the word hear, right? Like sometimes we will hear some people talking and we go, I was listening to them. Sometimes we will use the word listen as a synonym for the word consider. Like I listened to a whole bunch of different people and then decided what I wanted to do, okay? I don't think that's the way the word listen is being used in these passages. I think the way the word listen is being used here is more like when there's a babysitter talking to the children or when a teacher is talking to her classroom or when a parent is talking to their children and they go, hey, hey, you aren't listening to me. Anybody been there? Right? They say, you aren't listening to me. And when you say that, you don't mean you aren't hearing me, right? In fact, you know they're hearing. That's why you're frustrated because you know they hear you, but, but, but even though they hear you, they're not listening to you. So you mean something more than just not hearing. In fact, if the kid said back to you, oh, I'm listening, I'm just disregarding, right? <laughs> like, don't worry, mom, I hear you. I'm just not going to do it. Like, I think many of us would be quick to explain, oh, (laughs) that is not what I meant. When I said, listen to me, I meant take my words as truth and my directives as law, right? Isn't that what you really mean? So going back to the original verses, let's go back to Deuteronomy 18, read it one more time, just to make sure I'm getting the, the, the right feel here, okay? Deuteronomy 18, verse 15. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me, from among your own brothers. You must, what are the words? Listen to him. Okay, what kind of listening? Let's see. This is what you requested from the Lord, your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly when you said, let us not continue to hear the voice of the Lord our God or see this great fire any longer so that we will not die. In other words, this voice that you're listening to is in the place of God the Father speaking directly. So of course this kind of listening is authoritative. Verse 17, then the Lord said to me, they have spoken well. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers. I will put my words in his mouth and he will tell them everything I command him. I will hold accountable whoever does not listen to my words that he speaks in my name. This does not sound like a suggestion. This does not sound like merely hearing. 
This is listening as in doing. This is important because we live in a culture that for the most part says, you can believe whatever you want and you can do whatever you want. I mean, some people would add the caveat, I think a lot of people would add the caveat, provided you don't harm someone else. But I mean, I think that's kind of the American spirit. You can believe whatever you want, you can do whatever you want as long as you don't harm someone else. And so we would say, you can't literally do whatever you want, you can't kill people and you can't burn their houses down and you can't steal their stuff. But like apart from harming others, you can believe whatever you want, you can do whatever you want, okay? That's, I think that's, what, that's the culture we live in, that's what we've got. Not everybody has that. Not every country's like that. Not every like, people group throughout history has been like that, but that's what we're in, okay? In America, this is often what we see. Believe whatever you want, do whatever you want. We don't have an emperor, we don't have a king. If you wanna be a Christian, if you wanna be a Hindu, if you wanna be an atheist, that's up to you. And which kind of Christian you wanna be, or which kind of Hindu you wanna be, or which kind of atheist you wanna be, that's all up to you. And if you wanna live your life for the sake of your family, or if you wanna live your life for the sake of fame, or if you wanna live your life for money, or if you wanna live your life for fun, like that's up to you, right? In America, those are your rights. In fact, a lot of times we talk about it that way, that these are our rights to do as we please. And so I just want you to hear this. That's not how God's kingdom works. To follow Jesus is to waive those rights and to say, Jesus, whatever you say, that's what I believe. Whatever, like, whatever you command, that's what I do. This is important to understand because I think sometimes this gets left out of gospel presentations. I think there are times when we're really concerned about someone, they're not a Christian, and we really want them to become a Christian, or at the very least, we want them to say they are. And so we will say something like, hey, Jesus died on the cross for your sins. And so if you believe in him, you'll be forgiven. You want to be forgiven, right? If you're not forgiven, you go to hell. Do you want to go to hell? No, of course not. Nobody wants to. So Jesus died on the cross for your sins. Believe in him, and then you can go to heaven when you die. Okay, you, you cool with that? Sign this commitment card, please. Repeat this prayer after me, please. Okay, and so sometimes we are quick to say, Jesus died on the cross for your sins, you'll be forgiven, you'll go to heaven when you die. And to what my response to that, first of all, is yes, 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 that is all true. But embedded in the phrase, believe in him, is you waiving the right to believe whatever you want. Yes. If you are considering becoming a Christian, and there very well may be some of you in the room that fit that category. I mean, I've been the pastor here for 12 years, and I have been aware that we have like almost always had people here coming who they're not Christians and they wouldn't even say that they were. They're just a friend brought them or they're just you know, kind of seeking or having questions or whatever. And so they're just, you know, I don't know yet. And they're here. And so I'm just, if you're in that category, you're here and you're considering becoming a Christian. I just think you need to know what you're signing up for, okay? I, do I want you to become a Christian? Yes, but, I, but not, I don't want you to say that you're one so bad that I'll just go, doesn't this sound good? Let's make this decision real quick, right? No, I want you to understand what you're signing up for. We don't get to make up our own doctrine. We don't get to decide our own ethics. Like if Jesus says that lust is bad, you are to believe that lust is bad and act accordingly. If Jesus says, forgive your brother from your heart, then you're, you're to pray, you're to rely on his power, but you need to forgive your brother from your heart. If Jesus says, don't get a divorce, don't get a divorce. If Jesus says, don't remarry, don't remarry. If Jesus says he's coming back, then you believe he's coming back. 
We don't get to make up our own doctrine. We don't get to decide our own morals. Like as an American, you do. But as a creation belonging to God and as a Christian saved by God, you must lay that down. You surrender that to the great prophet, Jesus. So in order for you to think about how this applies to you, I wanted to see if you would kind of ask yourself these questions. Ask yourself questions like this. What are some ways that I try to make up my own beliefs? Like ask yourself this question. Maybe some of you can do it right now. Maybe some of you got to get alone somewhere this afternoon and do it. But ask yourself, what are some ways that I try to make up my own beliefs? Meaning I, I go like, well, this is what I think is true. I mean, I don't, I, you know, I someone once pointed a verse in the Old Testament that doesn't really match what I believe. But, but I mean, this is just my own personal belief, right? And I don't really care what the pastor says or what the, my fellow Christians say or what the Bible says. Like, this is just, this is kind of my belief on how things are. Like, what, what are those... What are those areas where you've just said, this is, these are my beliefs? Or what are some ways in which you've tried to make up your own values? That you've thought like, okay, God has what he values. There's what Jesus says is important. But then there's like my values, you know? God's into some stuff. Jesus is into some stuff. But like, then there's, there's the stuff I care about. There's, there's my values. What are the things that are different from God's values and Jesus' values that you've decided, well, this is what I'm going to decide is important for me. What are those things? And then once you've identified those, I would say, remember these words. This is the sermon in six words. Jesus is prophet. Listen to him. I'm going to close with a story that I did not intend on um, telling. So this is just bonus material. (laughs) But I talked to a lady this morning who told me the story, and I think it's too good to not use. So she told me that this week, a couple days ago, I guess, um, she was in the villages and she got into a car accident. It was a minor car accident, but she ran into the back of another, uh, another couple. And, you know, she was the one in the back, so it was her fault. The police were called. Um, the police took 40 minutes to get there. So in the meantime, this lady that goes to our church became friends with the people that she hit. They, they all became best friends. They're all sitting in the car together waiting for the cop to come. <laughs> um, and the police officer shows up and, and gives a ticket to the, the person that goes to church here that had hit the, hit the couple from behind. And the ticket was $160. And she said to the cop, I, I don't have $160. And the cop said, well, you got 30 days to figure it out. And she said the couple that she hit overheard it and said, well, we want to pay that fine for you. Like, what a, what a wonderful lady you are. Really, if you don't have the money, like, we would like to pay your ticket. And the lady who goes to church here said, like, no, 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 I'll figure it out. And they said, well, we've already exchanged insurance information and address. Like, we know where you live. We're going to send you a check. <laughs> and so they're paying a fine for her, which is crazy. I don't know if you ever heard that happening before. Like, this is crazy. I've, sometimes people might pay a fine for someone else, but it's the, it's the people who got hit. Like, she damaged their car, and they're paying for her ticket. And the, thing, the reason why I think that's such a good illustration for Jesus is because a lot of times we talk about Jesus paying our fine. A lot of times we talk about Jesus, um, you know, making a payment for us. But what I love about that illustration and the way I think it matches is like God, Jesus, Holy Spirit, however you want to think of it, the Godhead, not, it's, not, it's not just that, that he's paying our, our, our payment for us, but he's paying a payment for us. He's paying a payment for people who hurt him. Do you realize that? Like, it's not just all Jesus paid for. Jesus is paying for sin that was done against him. That's 
the one that you are called to listen to. Let's pray. God, I've asked that you would, and I've already asked this earlier this morning, and I guess I'm just asking it publicly now, that you would make us into a congregation of people who listen to you. I would imagine there are people in this room who do not know you yet, and I pray that today would be the day that they begin to listen to you. And I realize that it is, they probably cannot listen to you on their own, that, they, that you would need to open their eyes. And so I pray that you would grant faith. I pray that you would grant regeneration. Like I pray that you would work in people's lives today, people who do not know you, that they would turn to you and listen to you starting today, Jesus. And then I pray for those of us in this room who do know you, and I pray that you will help us, that we would be people who would listen to you. I know we will not do it perfectly between now and when you come back, but I pray that you would help us to increasingly say whatever it is you say, that's what I believe, and whatever it is you command, that's what I do. We love you. We thank you for your grace, your forgiving grace, and your help us to live life the right way, grace. Amen.